Welcome to the Moose Room, everybody. This is your host, Dr. Joe Armstrong. This week, just like last week, it's just me, and I apologize for that, but between sick kids and Bradley being the chair of the search committee for a new dairy faculty member, Emily just being her normal absolute boss self, traveling around the state and teaching everyone about farm safety and mental health, it's tough to get together. So. So last week, I was on my way to the Minnesota Nutrition Conference. Really what I want to talk about today is some of the things that I learned at that conference from some of my colleagues that also spoke there. My house right now is absolute chaos. We've got a three-week-old at home who's doing well, mom's doing well, but we're running on little sleep. We also have a two-year-old at home who is sick right now, staying home from daycare. So as it stands right now, I am in the shop amongst the tools set up at the workbench, just trying to find a little tiny piece of quiet for 10 or 15 minutes while we can talk in the moose room. One of the big topics that was talked about at the nutrition conference was dairy beef cross calves. And as we know, we, we jumped into that game without really having a, a super great idea of what would happen with those animals and how they were going to perform at the pack or how we were going to take care of them, how to feed them, what was different, what was the same, all those things. How do we treat those calves? Are they the same as a dairy animal? Are they the same as a beef animal? Are they somewhere in between? So it was a big topic. And I think there is a, there's a lot to get into on the nutrition side. There's a lot of things we could talk about from the processing side of things as well. But today I want to focus on health and management of these calves. One of the talks that was given was by Dr. Max Thornsberry, who's with Milk Specialties Global, works with these calves every day, has a, a tremendous amount of knowledge. So big shout out to him. I wanna go over his talk today and what some of the things I picked out from his lecture about how do we take care of these dairy beef cross calves, especially once they hit a feedlot setting. Before I get into the notes I have from the conference, one of the things that we should talk about briefly is what are we doing with these calves before they hit a feedlot setting, before they're weaned? How do we take care of them? How do we feed them? What do we do with them? And really what it comes down to is that you treat them exactly like you would a Holstein calf. With colostrum especially, getting them started right, all the things that we've gone over on this podcast before, there are tons of episodes that we've covered how to take care of that Holstein calf while it's still on milk. And all of that applies to this dairy beef cross animal. They are the same pre-weaning and, and we're going to talk about post-weaning and at the feedlot here in a second. But I encourage you to go back and listen to some of those episodes. Find the episodes that apply to a Holstein calf and you can take those and translate them directly to this dairy beef cross animal, especially when we're talking about colostrum, the amount fed, getting them started with a, a starter pellet or a starter feed right away water availability, space, all those things, cleanliness, especially when we're talking to the disease side, it all applies. So I encourage you to go find those episodes that we've recorded and, and, and get on that because that is exactly the same. All right, moving on. We're talking about dairy beef cross calves in the feedlot. What do we need to know? Well, one of the big things, and I really like this, this conversation because it, it applies to what we were just talking about with calves pre-weaning is that we always have to remember that these calves are half dairy. 
And Dr. Thornsberry was really, really adamant about talking about this. And when we when we feed these calves, when we, we look at how they're raised prior to us getting them in the feedlot, we really need to be treating them like we're feeding a Holstein calf. And when we talk about feeding Holstein calves, the biggest influence on health and how they do in our feedlot is stress. We need to minimize stress as much as possible. Of course, we want to do that with colored cattle as well. It just becomes even more important as we talk about a dairy cross calf. When we talk about stress and the things that influence stress, especially with Holsteins and dairy beef cross calves, one of the things that appears to be very different from our colored cattle is pen size and group size. Of course, all the space requirements that we've talked about before apply. I think you need to have uh, at least 40 square feet per animal when you're raising uh, dairy calves or dairy cross calves. And I think that that applies here as well. But the actual size of the group also matters. Dumping these dairy cross beef calves into a giant pen with 120 or 140 animals in it seems to not work well at all. And if the only change you make is to just take that same size pen and break it into smaller groups, we see much better results when it comes to morbidity, mortality, and performance. Now here's where we get into what is ideal pen size and what is practical pen size. And ideal pen size when it, you know, and this is not a ton of research behind this, but a lot of people in the field that have worked on this telling me what the ideal pen size is, including Dr. Thornsberry. An ideal pen size is probably six, six calves in one pen. Now, how practical is that in the real world setting where space is limited, gates are expensive, all of those kind of things, water, bunk space, trying to break that up, it gets expensive quick. So six is ideal, but is it practical? I don't think so. And I think what's much more practical, especially in the immediate post weaning period and uh, until those calves are really up on feed and looking good, is in that 10 to 12 range, possibly 15. But I don't know if I would get much higher than that if you really, really, really wanna be successful with, especially with you got calves coming in under 300 pounds. That seems to work really well still, as long as you've got your other management things straight in the feedlot. But if you get much higher than that, bigger group sizes, they just don't handle the stress of the social dynamics of a giant group, the same as some of our colored cattle do. So for me, pen size is a big factor in how these cattle do. And six being ideal, if you've got the means to do that, by all means, go for it. I think 10 to 15 is more practical and, and still plenty doable when we're starting these calves out. Now, eventually, I think it is possible to get them into bigger groups as they're up on feed, much better, bunk broke, all these other things that we worry about. But I still wouldn't get into giant group sizes. I really like the idea, especially with Holsteins and dairy cross beef calves, of having pot load sized pens. If you can get enough calves at the same time and they're all looking very uniform and you can feed them well enough with enough bunk space, water space, all those things, a pot load pen size is a really good number for Holsteins and these dairy cross beef calves. So a pot load pen size would be somewhere between 30 and 35 head. And I think that's really, really doable um, and, and can 
can get you in the right number while controlling morbidity and mortality and maximizing uh, the efficiency of your feedlot when it comes to having to put waters in and bunk space and, and dividing and gates and all of that kind of thing. Because that can get expensive quick, and I am totally aware of that. But I think that is the right number, in my opinion, is to be in that pot load size pen. Uh, and then you can clear out that whole pen at once, kind of an all-in, all-out on that pen, which can have some benefits for biosecurity as well. Now, one of the other things that Dr. Thornsberry stressed, and, and he stressed this over and over and over again, was proper ventilation. It's really, really difficult to keep morbidity and mortality low if you lock everything up tight and you don't have proper airflow around these calves. And that leads to just another factor of the stress game. More airflow is better. With calves that are under 300 pounds or in that lighter weight, we still need a bunch of air movement around them. And we, the more air movement we have, the less chance we have of having all these other pathogens build up in that airspace and or other things that decrease the uh, ability of our immune system, of the cattle's immune system, to fight off an infection like uh, buildup of ammonia in the air or things like that that can damage our initial defenses that cattle have against diseases. So when it comes to health and managing stress and all these other things, on the nutrition side, I don't want to get into it too much. Basically, you're going to treat these calves exactly like you would a Holstein feeder, and that is the best way to feed them. If you do everything the best of your ability, you can control stress, you have proper ventilation, you're working with these calves and treating them just like a Holstein, all things equal, these calves tend to have better health under 300 pounds. They tend to have better feed conversion over 1,000 pounds. It seems to be that we see some of that hybrid vigor coming through for us if everything else is equal across the board. So if everything's equal across the board, we tend to see a little less disease. The diseases are the same though. There's no difference in the diseases we see. Uh, it, it's exactly like we see in Holsteins and other, other cattle in the feedlot. It just tends to be that we have a little less disease incidence compared to that Holstein calf in these dairy cross beef calves. So if everything's equal across the board and you're feeding them well and you're treating them like a Holstein, I think it's very reasonable to see 80 to 90% choice in a closeout and 10% prime. So, I mean, there's a lot of value in these calves. You're gonna see some yield grade fives in that um, just because they're still half Holstein and that's the way it works when we're gonna get those numbers on the choice and the prime side. Three to 5% death loss, I think is very manageable. But again, every group is different where they're coming from, how you source them, how they're treated uh, before you get them is a huge factor in that. that that's something that you need to be really careful where you're getting these calves and how they're treated and what kind of colostrum they had even before you see them is going to impact how they perform in your feedlot. So when you're sourcing calves, I think one of the things you can do is really ask those questions and be knowledgeable on that side of how are calves raised and how should they be raised. And you can look for those calves that are treated really, really well. What kind of colostrum did they get? When did they get it? How much were they fed? Was it milk replacer? Was it whole milk? There, there's so many questions you can ask. Vaccine schedule as well. You know, we've talked about before, there's a such thing as too many vaccines and that's just as bad as not vaccinating at all. There, there's so many questions to ask to, to make sure that your calves coming into your feedlot have a really great chance of success. And then I think you can see that three to 5% death loss and really low treatment rates somewhere in the 
10 to 15% for uh, morbidity and treatment rates. Now, I think one of the other things that you should be looking for is horns and scurs. If we're doing everything as best we can, the producers on the dairy side that are getting these cows pregnant with that dairy cross beef animal should be using a homozygous pulled bull. In my opinion, I think that's that's a, a good way to go. You don't have to worry about dehorning. You don't have to worry about uh, missing one and having horns in the feedlot, which is an absolute disaster. Horns in a feedlot, especially when we're in a confined setting or a slap barn setting where we've got a little less space, horns are an absolute disaster. You should be asking that question as well. Are you using a homozygous pulled bull? Simple question. The answer should be yes from your source. Now, implants. Again, you're seeing a the theme here. When we talk about implants, when we talk about almost everything else, we're saying just treat them exactly like a Holstein. And that is also true for implants. Somewhat complicated topic. It does. It, it's definitely not a cookie cutter topic. And, it, and each group is different. Each feedlot is different when we talk about implant schedule. But treat them like a Holstein. Use the TBA sparingly. Got to be uh, a step back from colored cattle on how aggressive we are uh, to control riding in the pens and, and other things like that. So that's a that's a question that you need to get the team together to, to answer your veterinarian and your nutritionist to talk about how are we going to implant these cattle. And the key is to treat them exactly like a Holstein. The, the theme is treat them exactly like a Holstein and you will be successful. That That goes for just about everything. One of the things that goes along with that, knowing that they're like a Holstein, is that we do deal with quite a high incidence of liver abscesses in these animals. That's nothing new when we talk about the Holstein side of things. That liver is super valuable for export. Condemning it brings down the value of our cattle. We have a pretty good handle on the mechanism behind how a liver abscess develops. What we don't have a great handle on is why it's so different when we look at a dairy animal versus a beef animal. Lots of work going on to try to figure that out right now. Lots of work going on with non-antibiotic ways of trying to solve this problem. I don't know if you want my two cents on it or not, but I do think that this is a management issue most of the time where we're looking at all the ways that we reduce stress and doing that as good as possible, managing nutrition in a way that we absolutely minimize acidosis as much as possible. But I do think there is a genetic component. That's not my idea. Uh, that's from talking to, to plenty of people that know much more about it than I do. There seems to be a genetic component just because of how big a difference we see between breeds when it comes to dairy versus our beef animals. It's just something you have to think about if you're going to raise dairy cross beef animals or Holsteins and you have to minimize stress and acidosis to cut down on the incidence of liver abscesses. There's products out there that can help you with that, Thailand being one of them. The absolute perfect scenario for creating liver abscesses in my mind is an overcrowded pen on a steer stuffer. A steer stuffer uh, with too many cattle on it is the absolute perfect recipe for liver abscesses. And that tells you, I guess, all you need to know stress, acidosis, and, and you get liver abscesses. So minimizing those two things is, is the key besides also having adjunct medications that could help us reduce liver abscesses as well. Now, I want to end this conversation talking about something that I admittedly have not thought about enough. 
and it's it's been brought up before and and i think we need to do a much better job of trying to figure out what we're going to do with these animals we're still producing half holstein or half dairy cross beef calves that are heifers there's a huge number of half beef half dairy heifer calves that are produced and that's an animal that is really 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 tough to market because of the lack of a margin on the back end with that animal we have reduced the number of calves that have little value you know traditionally we talk about that jersey bull calf that is our animal that we were trying to avoid producing and we've done a good job of producing as few of those as possible but we've now produced an animal with very very similar issues that half dairy half beef animal that's a heifer has very similar conversation around it as that jersey bull calf we need to be addressing what happens with these cattle same conversation in my mind is that jersey bull calf but it's something that we need to be working on because those animals are going to continue to be produced. I'm hoping there's fewer and fewer and fewer of them, but it's still an issue that we need to be thinking about as an industry on what are the potential solutions for dealing with that animal. All right, I think I've given you plenty to think about today. We're gonna wrap it there. As always, if you have questions, comments, scathing rebuttals, they can go to the Moose Room at umn.edu. That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. Follow us on Twitter at UMN Newsroom and at UMN Farm Safety. Follow Bradley on Instagram at UMN WCROC Dairy. Check out our website for more information, extension.umn.edu. I promise you won't have to listen to just me again next week. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. Bye. Mm-hmm.